It is because of this that I continue to believe and I continue to remind you that we are part of the greatest movement in the history of the world. Amen? It is amazing to be part of the church and to know that the Lord invites us to contribute to what he's already doing in this creation. I want to welcome you again, and today I have the pleasure to introduce to you the speaker that we have for you today. Uh, this is a man that we met about three to four years ago. Um, this came after a, a part of the staff of the church read this article about the largest Presbyterian multi-ethnic church in the nation, um, a church that um, was actually living out this, this desire to become more and more multi-ethnic, multi-culture, multi-generation, multi-social class church, and the Lord has used this man uh, as part of that. Uh, so we called him and we invited him to come and spend a few uh, days with us. Actually, he spent all five days with us. And after about four different um, meals and after hours and hours of talking and hearing him and asking questions and him answering questions, we became friends really, really close, really, really fast. So this is usually how you know that the Lord is in the midst of that relationship. This is a man that is super committed to the church of Christ. A man that loves the Lord with all his mind, soul, and strength. It's a, it's a man that loves community and loves people. It's a man that the Lord has been using in different ways and different matters in Memphis, where his church is, but also in the United States. And I would say that he has been a man that has been super instrumental uh, and a blessing to us as a church as we continue to pursue all of these things that the Lord is calling us to be. So because of that, it is my pleasure, uh, my, my pleasure, my, my, the blessing to introduce to you Pastor Rufus Smith. I'm going to ask you to please welcome him uh, to the best of your abilities. I think I'll quit while I'm ahead with that applause and just give him... <laughs> Get a benediction. <laughs> the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces asunder between the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit, and it is a critic of the thought and the intent of the heart. Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and as such, it is profitable for reproof, rebuke, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Jesus Christ, the master chef, said, it is written, it is written, it is written, that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall a man or a woman live. I believe, as you do, that the Word of God is untainted and unmixed with error. It is divine in its origin, inspired in its totality, regenerative in its power, inexhaustible in its adequacy, convicting and comforting to the soul, personal and social in its application. So I want you to turn with me to the Word of God, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16, or excerpts, verses 1 through 16. 
In the New International Version, it reads thus. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Pray with me. Gracious God, our Father, we pause to capture your presence and to thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the supply of your spirit. We ask now that you would teach our minds, control our emotions, govern our behavior, and transform our lives. In fact, we say like your servant Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even Jesus, our Savior, we pray and we praise you. Amen. Thank you for the honor of being here with you this weekend. And I congratulate the Wheaton Bible Church for a successful transition from a long tenured pastor, Dr. Rob Boo, to a long tenured son of this ministry, Dr. Hannibal Rodriguez. I've been around long enough to know that there are many uh, churches that do not make a successful transition, particularly the kind that you have made. And so I want to appreciatively applaud the Lord and you for this successful transition. Can we do that? Amen. And as Hannibal said, we have become fast friends and I've noticed over the four years we've known each other, I've noticed three things that especially bless me about him. The first thing is he has a high view of scripture. He didn't know I was gonna say this before the first worship hour, 
Um, he probably wouldn't want me to say it, but this is my time up here now, right? <laughs> he has a high view of Scripture. I respect any man or any woman who has a high view of Scripture putting divine viewpoint above human viewpoint. You're blessed in that. Secondly, I've noticed this about him. He has a spirit of humility and teachability. Even though he's lived life and has lordship experience that far outseeds most, he still has a spirit of humility and teachability. And God will continue to honor you as you continue to be humble. I heard an old preacher when I was a little boy, he used to say to me, humility is God's elevator. And I never knew what that meant until I got a little older. You are a personification of that. And then, and then I love this about him. I have found him to be holistic in his thinking as it relates to the gospel. He's concerned about the whole man, physically, materially, and emotionally and spiritually, body, soul, and spirit. That is the gospel because Jesus was concerned about the whole man. So I've appreciated him being holistic in his thinking when it comes to the gospel. And I appreciate you as a congregation. Only 13% of congregations throughout the United States look like you and aspire to be like you. Let me repeat, only 13% of all the churches in America look like you and aspire to be like you. Meaning, you are a church who's striving to improve the delivery of the Great Commission to make disciples of every ethnicity, every age, and every socioeconomic class, particularly within your local community, one three five mile radius. Only 13% of churches aspire to do that. And I believe that God has uniquely positioned you to help solve the social ills of this day in a gospel way. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Listen, we made this transition 11 years ago in Memphis, Tennessee, so I can deeply empathize with what you are going through and what you will go through as God uses you in a miraculous way. Now, I'm not being arrogant or bragging. I'm simply saying that the Lord is using you in a unique way. You picture, and I'm encouraged by it, you picture this principle. It does not matter if you are black or white or yellow or brown or rich or poor or up or down, Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative, hawk or dove, in the city, out of the city, urbanite or suburbanite. As long as you believe Jesus Christ is the center and circumference, the sum and substance, the basis and boundary of all that we ever hope to be, we can truly be one. Amen. I believe that. And as such, I believe that your kind of church 
is the best answer to the social ills of our day in a gospel way. So I want to look at your theme here, particularly Jesus' statement in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine. Actually, in the Greek, it's a little stronger than that. One translation has it. Let your light so shine. Wake up the person next to you. Not just shine, but let your light so shine that men will see your good works but glorify the Father in heaven. This word glory, doxa, in the Greek, it is the weight and reflection of who God is. To glorify means to advertise God. To glorify, you'll see it today. How many of you are football fans like the Chicago Cubs? <laughs> How about Bears? Just checking. How about Green Bay Packers? Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> Already started a schism in the church. Watch this. <laughs> in their own way, you will see them glorifying each other. When they make a touchdown or a first down or first play, you'll see some of them point to the offensive line, point to another player who helped them get in the end zone. That's what glorifying God is. It means to highlight his name and to spotlight his character. It means to advertise him. It is a high five. It's pointing attention to him. So we are a rolling billboard as far as glorifying God by our good works. And so he says, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works, but they will glorify, advertise, reflect, and highlight God's name and spotlight his nature. So when Jesus sat down and talked to his disciples, he said to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He was introducing to them a whole nother level of living that they were not familiar with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He was opening their eyes to another system other than the world, but a kingdom within the world. And he said to them, we, because you are part of a broken and blessed community, I will use you to be the light. So blessed are the poor in spirit. It means this, those who have been broken, those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who understand that I cannot help myself by myself. <clears throat> it is not true that God helps those who help themselves. It is true that God helps those who let him help them. I cannot save, rescue myself. Jesus says when you get to the point of being spiritually bankrupt, then you are broken enough to surrender to me and you will begin to see a whole nother level of living. 
my son for his graduation present uh, from high school. I told him I'll take you anywhere within the continental United States for one week you and I would just hang out. He chose New York because he wanted to go to Rutgers Park, play basketball. It was an urban legend park and uh, he wanted to see other sites in New York as well. So we did. We landed, <clears throat> we got to the hotel, we stayed at the Millennium across the street from the UN, which we also visited on the 20th floor or so. And he peeked out the window and he looked down and he said, Dad, look at all these calves. I've never seen a sea of calves like this. Do people in New York have cars? I said, well, few and far between, but yeah, they do have cars. But calves is how they get around. I said, but son, there is something beneath the calves. There's a subway system where many more thousands of people travel from place to place. And I want to introduce that to you on our trip. So we went down to the subway system and I bought him a pass, us a pass, for the entire week. And he learned that there was a whole nother system of transportation beneath the surface that thousands of people access. And he was able to go back and forth to Rutgers Park. I mean, I only went once, but he went back and forth. We went to Brooklyn to see the Yankees play. We went to Broadway. We went and did several things. After the second day, he no longer needed me. He knew how to navigate the system all by himself. No, you don't have to come with me, Dad. I got it. The kingdom of God is a whole nother system that operates in the invisible order of reality. But not everybody can see it. Only the broken, blessed can see it. Jesus was introducing to his disciples and thus to us that there is a whole nother system within the system. There is a kingdom of heaven that is in the world. But you can't see that level of living unless you are part of the broken blessed. And therefore, he said, there is a certain group of people who are my lights. They have to have a certain attitude that we have come to call the Beatitudes or else you cannot fully access this system, this invisible order of reality, a whole nother way of living. And so he said, you are the light of the world. Who, who is he talking to? He was not talking to the religious leaders of his day. He was not talking to the political leaders of his day. He was not talking about the commerce leaders of his day. He was talking about a select group of people who were part of the blessed broken. Those who had been broken and spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn because of sin and suffering, but they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, that is, they submit to the plan of God when you don't even understand the entire plan of God, for you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after that which is right from God's point of view, 
you will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are serving and showing mercy to others, meeting them at their point of misery, for you will be shown mercy when you need it at your point of misery. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, that is, in the sanctification process, you will truly see God as he truly is. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, not just horizontally with human beings, but you're making peace between God and man. You will be called the sons and daughters of God, and blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is that group of people with a certain attitude when he says, you are the light of the world. I want to sell you, Wheaton Bible Church, that the reason that God is going to use you is because you have a different attitude and you are in a part of a different kingdom. And so he says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. <clears throat> we have many examples of this throughout church history. Let me read you one. A bright light in history <clears throat> was Sir William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He was born in 1829 in Nottingham, UK, <clears throat> United Kingdom. Mr. Booth became a Jesus follower early in life and was an active Methodist, preaching and helping the poor in his local area. After some time, is working as a businessman in the pawnbroking industry. He moved with his wife, Catherine Mumford, to the east of London. The two of them began working with a group of Christian businessmen who were concerned about the poor and the disadvantaged in their community. In 1852, William Booth abandoned the tradition, the traditional church in favor of taking the gospel to the streets directly to people. So walking on the streets of London, he preached to the poor, the homeless, the hungry, and the destitute. <clears throat> Fellow clergymen disagreed with his unconventional approach, uh, but he and his wife continued to mingle and train evangelists. Over the next few years, that ministry, that movement flourished. It focused on teaching those who were impoverished and disadvantaged the message of Jesus Christ in a language and in places that they understood and could relate to, like dance halls and bowling alleys and outdoors. They also addressed the basic material needs of people, <clears throat> and they used music to convey the gospel. Despite this opposition, from many parts of the body of Christ who disliked their methods, many people surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. They moved back in 1865 to the east end of London and began operating under the name the Christian Mission. <coughs> and by this time, they had about a thousand volunteers, convicted criminals, prostitutes, gamblers, drunkards were among their flock. One day Booth was reading the printer's proof in 1878 of the Christian Mission Manual, and he noticed a statement. The Christian Mission is a volunteer army. 
he crossed out the word volunteer and he pinned in the word salvation. And from that day to this, it has become the basis of what we know today as the Salvation Army. An army for Christ, for church, and for cause. It's known throughout the world today. We know it because they have done good works, but glorify the Father in heaven. Let me say these three things. I'll take my seat. Light reveals truth. Light reveals truth. You are the light of the world. God is going to use you who are broken, who have a different attitude, who has a system within a system that can see life at another level. You are the light of the world. God will use you to reveal truth in your home, in your concentric circles of contact, in your schools, on your college campuses, in the marketplace, to reveal truth. Little by little, God will use you to demonstrate truth in words and deeds. He's not going to use the rich or the famous or the media or the government. He's going to use you because light reveals truth. What truth? It reveals the truth of justice, of righteousness, and compassion. Light reveals the truth of justice, of righteousness, and compassion. It does all of that. And so God is going to use you as a light to reveal truth. Secondly, light not only reveals truth, but light repels fear and lies. Light repels or expels fear. Anybody here ever been afraid of the dark? All right, you can confess with me. I have for a long time afraid of the dark. In fact, <clears throat> I tied a string to the light switch at my house when I was a boy uh, so that I could get in the bed first and then turn off the light. <laughs> I didn't want the boogeyman to get me between the time I turned the light off and the time I got in my bunk bed. <laughs> Scared of the dark. But I learned that soon as that light came on, it expelled fear. And light repels and expels fear. We've got a whole lot of fear going on in our world today. Fear on issues of justice, fear on issues of righteousness, fear on issues of compassion. God will use you as a light to help repel and expel fear so that people can truly see his good works. I love this story. It's an analogy, an allegory. A young buffalo named Walter asked his dad if there was anything he should be afraid of. And his dad said, only lions, my son. He said, well, if I ever see one, I'm going to turn and run as fast as I can, said Walter. No, that's the worst thing you can do. He said, I don't understand that. They are strong, they're scary, and they'll kill me. The dad explained, Walter, if you run, the lions are too fast and they'll catch you. Then swipe you with their powerful paw and jump on your unprotected back and bring you down. 
So what should I do, asked the young buffalo. He said, son, if you ever see a lion, stand your ground and show him you are not afraid. He said, but dad, I am afraid. <laughs> he said, I know, but act like you're not. If he doesn't move away, then show him your sharp horns and stomp the ground with your hoofs. If that doesn't work, move slowly toward him. If the lion refuses to move away, then charge him and hit him with everything you got. Walter said, that's crazy. <laughs> you said he's too strong and he will attack me back. His father said, look around, Walter. What do you see? And he looked around at the rest of the herd and he saw 200 massive buffaloes, all armed with sharp horns and huge shoulders. And he said, son, if you're ever afraid, know that you are not alone. We are here. If you panic and run from your fears, we can't help you. But if you charge towards them with all you have, we'll charge right behind you. The young buffalo breathes a sigh of relief and said, I understand. Every person that's sitting under my voice must navigate the fears, the lion of fears in your world. Whether that's the fear of people's opinion, more than God's opinion, whether it's uncertainty of our future, whether it's the change of a job or a church or a city or a way of life, whether it's loss or prestige or position or power, the fear of failure, the fear of sickness, the diagnosis that we may get that changes life as we know it, the fear of death or abandonment, whatever it is, we have three choices related to fear fright or dread, and it will present, prevent us from reaching our potential. We can flee, we can freeze, or we can fight. And I want to encourage you that when light repels and expels fear and you are afraid, look around. You're not alone. And not only are you not alone looking around, but you're not alone because he said he's with us. So lastly, light reveals truth. Light repels and expels fear. And then light provides warmth. I like that. Light provides warmth. The gospel that we live and preach provides warmth. One of the mistakes that we have made in the last few years at the Church of Jesus Christ is people have rejected our truth because of our tone. Let me say that again. People often never even get to our truth because of our tone. It is less grace-oriented 
and more legalistic, self-righteous, and they never get to our truth. But the Savior that we serve is warm. He balanced truth and grace. He didn't compromise, but he balanced truth and grace. No wonder sinners, tax collectors, wanted to be around him. He was approachable in a way that they knew he was not going to compromise. He was sinless in his steps, and yet they found him approachable because light provides warmth. And we have a gospel that has the answer to the ills of today if we live it and present it with warmth. I'm glad we have a Savior who has given us truth and warmth. The highest of the high became the lowest of the low, and the richest of the rich became the poorest of the poor. He didn't have to do that, but he came down providing us warmth. We have a Savior who fills heaven with his glory, earth with his goodness, hell with his fury, but he does it with warmth because light provides warmth. We have a Savior who was born down in Bethlehem where heaven sent out his best choir, brightest star to mark the place where he lay. And that was a baby ages older than his own mother who said, before Abraham was, I already am. He came down and provided light and warmth, grace and truth. He was conceived in virginity, born in humility. He was wrapped in humanity, lived 33 years in obscurity. He healed indiscriminately. He prayed fervently, taught tirelessly, pray, uh, preached poignantly. He suffered silently, died vicariously, rose victoriously, will return very gloriously. That's the kind of Savior that we serve. Like provides warmth. And I don't know about you, but I can preach and live a gospel like that. It's not the rich. It's not the famous. It's not the media. It's not the government. It's not sports heroes. It's not Hollywood. It's not Madison Avenue. It's not Wall Street. You who have a broken, blessed attitude God says, I'm going to use you to be my lights in the world, to reveal truth, repel and expel fear, and to provide warmth. Didn't somebody do it for me? I'm glad that I could do it for somebody else. Pray with me. Oh, gracious God, our Father, thank you for the gospel. It rescued me and those who are listening, who have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who strive to practice, albeit imperfectly, the same. So I lift up this church and I pray that you would help us to realize that you will use us, not the world, as the medium of exchange to do your divine business on planet Earth, a kingdom, a system within a system that we cannot see unless we're part of the blessed broken. So help us 
to invest in the unseen realities of life, another kingdom. Help us to live a life where the light of the gospel is warm, full of grace, and full of truth. Thank you for letting us be the light of the world. For the sake of the kingdom, we pray, and the glory of the high king. Amen.